Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, this morning, as we open God's word, I am reminded very clearly that here we are in October, which is very hard to believe. There are parts of this season that have felt like 10 years in and of itself. And then there are moments in the season that I look back and I can't believe we're already in October. Someone asked me earlier today, Pastor, do you know what this weekend represents? And I said, well, it's the fall, like leaves are changing. And they said, well, that's not what I'm talking about. And I said, well, it's, it's football season. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. And they said, no, 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 no. It's hunting season. And so I thought I would start off today by way of an illustration that maybe you can be encouraged by a little bit today about a group of friends that had gone hunting in a cabin way out in the country. They decided one Saturday morning they were going to get out and go out into the woods to hunt, and they decided to break up in groups of two. They were gone all day long as they hunted. Night finally fell, and one by one, the groups of two came back to the cabin. Finally, the final group arrived, but there was something strangely missing. When the group arrived, it was just one man who was bearing up under the weight of a large eight-point buck, but his buddy, Jimmy, was nowhere to be seen. As soon as he walked into the cabin, all the other friends asked him, man, where is Jimmy? You guys went out in two. Where is he? Why is he not with you? To which the friend quickly responded, well, Jimmy had a medical emergency a little while ago, and he's a few miles back on the trail. I left him there. They could not believe the insensitivity of this hunter. And so they said, what do you mean? You, you left him on the trail. To which the man carrying the buck said, well, the way I saw it, Nobody was going to steal Jimmy, but somebody might steal my buck. And so he brought his buck home. Well, the fact of the matter is this morning is that we naturally look out for ourselves. But I believe what God is calling us to do in this season of life is to first and foremost love the Lord our God and out of the basis of that relationship to love others like he calls us to. Jesus was asked to be considered what was the greatest commandment, and he said loud and clear, it was to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all of our being, with all that we are, we must love God and have a relationship with him. Isn't that an amazing thing to consider this morning, that the living God of heaven who created the world in six days so loves you that he invites you to a relationship with him? It's amazing to consider that the God of heaven, who is over all things, who has all power and all authority, he loves you so much, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose again from the grave so that through faith, we might have a relationship with God the Father. What a wonderful truth that we can have a relationship with God. The other second part of that commandment is this. Jesus said the second commandment was likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Truly, if there's ever a day in our culture and perhaps in our own hearts and lives that we need to be reminded of the importance of loving God and the importance of loving others, it is today. In a world of great division, in a world of great conflict, in a world of great challenge, God calls us to love him and to love others. But what does loving others look like? Throughout the course of this series, we've been going over one another, the one another scriptures, the one another statements of scripture where God tells us how we are to 
care for one another, how we are to help one another. We saw two weeks ago, one of the main ways we show love for one another is how we serve one another. But today we come to a component of loving one another that frankly seems contradictory. Today we come to an aspect of loving one another, frankly, that none of us like. In fact, I would argue if you like this component of one another, you might need to check your heart and motive before you leave here today. And that is this morning from Colossians chapter three, I wanna preach to you on the subject, admonish one another. Admonish one another. The fact of the matter is this morning is that very few of us like conflict. In fact, most of us will do anything and everything we can to avoid conflict. We don't want to have to, to be confronted with it and we don't want to have to deal with it, frankly, by our sometimes philosophy and sometimes simply by our practice. When there's conflict, we would just rather put our eyes down and sweep anything we can under the rug and hopefully it'll all just go away, right? Like if I close my eyes to the problems of the world and the problems of my life, they'll eventually vanish and so we'll move on, hunky-dory, everything will be. But the fact of the matter is God has much to say about admonishing one another. The word admonish literally means to instruct, to exhort, to warn or rebuke. Now, the first part of that definition, we don't have a problem with. We understand our need for instruction. We love to be exhorted in the context that maybe there would be someone come alongside to encourage us and to motivate us in a specific action. But the latter part of those definitions are a struggle to us, to warn or rebuke. Can I just get a testimony today? Anybody just love to be rebuked? I mean, just, you can't wait for it this morning. I mean, anybody ever, you can't wait to be confronted. The fact is, by our nature, we don't like those things. And yet, it is absolutely vital for our health and ultimately for our growth in our relationship with the Lord. Listen to just some illustrations, for example. In God's Word, the Bible tells us there are many benefits of an admonition or of a rebuke, but listen to seven of them. Number one, a biblical rebuke spares us from disaster and from unforeseen consequences, Proverbs chapter 29, verse one. A biblical rebuke leads us to wisdom and understanding, Proverbs 15, 31 through 32. A biblical rebuke keeps us, hello, on the path of life, Proverbs 10, 17. A biblical rebuke helps us to live a life that is honorable, Proverbs 13, 18. A biblical rebuke, number five, re uh, leads us to a love of knowledge, Proverbs chapter 12, verse one. Number six, a biblical rebuke turns us away from death itself, Proverbs 15, verse 10. And many people our culture. Oh, we want to be blessed. We want to be happy. Job 5, 17, a biblical rebuke leads to happiness and blessings from God. The fact is many of us want the results that come from that, but we try to get that by dismissing and living however we want to live. But I believe what God wants us to see from his word is that part of loving one another in the body of Christ is that at times there will be an admonishing of one another. If you're ready to learn, would you say amen? I pray that we'd learn it, but even more so, I pray that we'd receive it and respond in faith and obedience. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter three, we're gonna read verses 14 through 17. The Bible simply says this, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be 
thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and what's the next word? Admonishing one another with some, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your word that you speak into every matter of life. God, in our nature, it's difficult to receive the instruction that you're going to give today. But God, I pray through the Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts and lives. Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not have that relationship with you, may today be that day where they experience that relationship through faith in Christ. And for all of us who do have that relationship, may today we hear and respond to your word today with faith, surrender, and obedience. And we'll give you alone the praise for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The word admonish is a very unique word. In fact, I would almost guarantee that there's nobody in the building today or watching online or in the CLC right now who's likely used this word in your vocabulary this week. We don't speak of this word in our culture today, but we do often speak of a warning or maybe we would speak of a rebuke or maybe we'd speak of a correction. While we don't enjoy those things, the Bible has much to say about it. Now, there are many people today who would listen to that word admonition or admonish, and you would say, that's right, preacher, that's the biblical principle, that's what God calls you to do. Pastor, that's your job, that's your role to admonish others, and that is certainly part of the role and the calling of a pastor. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, literally Paul writes, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. They warn you. They are instructing you to get on the right path. At times, they are rebuking you. That might happen in a personal conversation. That might happen in a private counseling meeting. That may happen as a pastor publicly preaches God's word. That happens sometimes when people walk out of the building and they might say, Pastor, that message stepped all over my toes, as a southern expression might be. Or someone might say, Pastor, who told you about what I was dealing with? And I might look at them and say, I had no idea. That was just the Holy Spirit of God. There's a part of that that is true for the pastor. But did you know every child of God also has a calling and a responsibility to practice biblical admonition? In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that in the context of the body of Christ, oftentimes what is most effective is not the public presentation of God's word, but the private thing that happens when a concerned brother or sister in Christ goes to another brother or sister in Christ and biblically and lovingly practices this truth of admonition. I remember early on in my life becoming aware of that kind of principle. I was in seventh grade and I played basketball. I love sports, but basketball is my favorite sport to play. And in seventh grade, I was so excited because we got a brand new basketball coach and he was known for being a great coach and all of his teams did well. And so we were excited because our terrible team was suddenly going to become great. That excitement quickly wore off on the first practice when one of the very first things he said to our entire team was, while you're on my team, you will not drink soda and you will not eat candy. Talk about raining on your parade, right? And I will never get, that, that, that coach, I mean, for the first few weeks, he made us run like nothing I have ever done before. And I remember, man, at our school, when every time it was snack time or lunchtime, I just want you to know, I believed at that time that God's gift to man was Dr. Pepper and Reese's, Okay. 
And some still believe it, but the fact of that is, I, I loved it. And I remember going to that break room and I'd want to go to that little Coke machine and get a soda and I'd want to get a Reese's. And it was not the voice of my coach in the back of my head. Guess what the voice was most impactful in that moment? It was my teammates. It was my teammates in that moment saying, Matthew, don't do it. Matthew, you know what coach said. Matthew, that's not going to be healthy for you. Matthew, we're not all running because of you. I want you to know in seventh grade, I dropped 35 pounds. That's how unhealthy I was when I started that basketball team. But what I'm saying to you is that it was that voice of those people in my life who cared about me and didn't want me to get in trouble and they would admonish me and they helped me to accomplish the goal. Romans 15, 14 says it this way, concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. So how do we do that? How do we practice admonishment and admonition well. Is God calling us to be a bunch of little captain critics with master's degrees in meddling where we walk around looking at all the flaws and problems of other people? Is that what he's really calling us to do? The answer is no. So what is admonition and how do we practice that in the body of Christ today? I want you to see four things from Colossians chapter three that stand out about this calling to admonish one another. The first thing I want you to see this morning is what I'm calling the framework of admonition the framework of admonition. Look at verse 14. Paul says these simple words. He says, beyond all these things, put on one primary thing. What is it? Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Just prior to this, Paul has talked about various graces. He's talked about compassion and he's talked about kindness. He's talked about humility and he's talked about gentleness and he's talked about patience. And in the midst of all these graces, he says, now, the one thing I want you to understand is this. You also are called to put on love because it's the perfect bond. It's the perfect merger. It's the thing that brings everything else together. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I was told earlier this week about a gentleman who, who recently, who used to live here in this area, and he, rent, he, he lived in a house that he rented that now one of our other church families live in today. And he was telling me that when he went down into the basement of this house that they were doing some projects that he looked up and he could see the beams of this house. Literally, they were labeled. They were burned into the wood, 1A, 1B. The next kind of part of the structure was 2A and 2B. And the next part, 3A and 3B. And he said, I did some research on that house. And here's what I found. I found that that house was literally ordered by the Sears and Roebuck catalog in the 1930s. And it arrived as a kit, and then the people building it literally like a glorified Lincoln Logs put it together. And so they all merged together there in that basement structure. What God is saying is this, when it comes to all these graces, even when it comes to admonition, the thing that should be the framework interwoven in it all, supporting it all, is that of love. You won't hear that in our culture. In fact, our culture says, if you love somebody, let them do what they want to. If you love somebody, don't, don't speak the truth. If you love somebody, just let them all go their own direction and do their own thing. But I want you to know this morning that when you see someone heading down a wrong direction, when you see someone where there's serious obstacles in their life, when you see someone headed in a way that is not glorifying and honor God, when you see someone lost in their trespasses and sins, headed towards an eternity without Christ, I'm telling you, it is not love to be silent. Proverbs 27.5 says it this way, better is open rebuke than hidden love. 
In other words, if love is genuine, it's going to speak up and it's going to speak out for the glory of God and for the good of another. If we are unwilling to confront someone in sin, it is simply because we do not care enough about them. Perhaps we don't care enough about the Lord's will for them. Oftentimes we do not admonish out of fear for how someone will respond to us, but the greater fear should be the end result of that individual if we do not speak up and admonish. A few weeks ago I was driving downtown Harrisonburg and I came to a a stop and I was waiting there at the traffic light and I was about four cars back and as I was there waiting for my turn to go, I I looked over and I saw an older lady literally walking towards the, the intersection of the street and what caught my attention was the, the unsteadiness of her right hand. She had a cane in her hand, and if you've been downtown, you know that not every bit of that sidewalk is exactly level. And so she would walk, and one step would be good, but it seemed like the next step, she wasn't. And it just, it just struck me as an area of concern. But when she came to the intersection, she kind of, in that moment, wasn't very aware of what was going on around her. I think she assumed that all the traffic to her right shoulder was going to go straight. What she didn't realize is that people in the left lane were getting ready to turn left. And so literally, as she steps out of this intersection, out of nowhere, here came, looked like a college student, probably from JMU. He didn't even seem to know her. He just seemed from out of nowhere. He literally ran up and stood right in front of her. Why did he do that? Why, why did he do that for a stranger that he'd never even met? Apparently, he was watching what I was watching. Here's why he did it. He did it because he saw danger. He did it because he realized she has got blinders on. She's not aware of what's going on in this moment. So without time to explain, without time, he just stepped in and intervened. Why? Because he had a care for this stranger. What God is calling us in the practice of admonition is it to practice a love and a care that cares enough to reach out to others who go in the wrong direction. Sometimes an admonition is corrective. Someone's on a wrong path. They've made a wrong decision. They're going the wrong direction and we have to bring that out. But second time, sometimes it's preventive in the sense that we see them head in that wrong direction. We're concerned for them. And so we come to them. Why is love so important as the framework of admonition? I want to encourage you that it's important for two reasons. First, it causes us to ask this question. Do we love people enough to instruct them, warn them, and if necessary, gently rebuke them? Do you love people enough in those situations to intervene to reach out to them and minister to them. But it brings up a second question as well that must be considered about love, and that is this. In our admonition, in our warnings, in our exhortations to a change of direction, in at times even our rebuke, are we showing love? Are we showing love? Yes, we are to be loving, but our love must not be without truth. And on the flip side of that, our truth must not be without love. It has been well said that love without truth is hypocrisy, but truth without love is brutality. Ephesians 4.15 literally says that in everything that we say and do, especially in the context of dealing with one another, is that we are to speak the truth in love. So when you see something, when you become aware of something that immediately gets you stirred up or you begin to think, maybe I need to respond to that. You need to first pause and examine your life and consider, am I being loving? Am I demonstrating the love of Jesus? Truth be told this morning, if we vet all of those things through love, we will find that many of those things are not things that need to be addressed. 
And instead, we simply need to show grace and compassion. After all, it is love that covers a multitude of sins. But when God makes us aware of specific issues and through the Holy Spirit, he convicts us and directs us to action, we still must respond in love. That's what Paul had in mind in Acts chapter 20. Acts 20 verse 31, Paul is writing to the elders at Ephesus. Listen to Paul's love for these believers in Acts 20 verse 31. He confessed, therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one, listen to the next phrase, with tears. Please understand, this is not Paul saying that he's a crybaby. This is Paul saying, I have such love for you that when I was in that place of admonishing you, of warning you, of rebuking you, of confronting the issues at hand, I did so with tears. In other words, he wants us to see that his tears are not an evidence of weakness, but of genuine love and concern for them. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul said, I do not write these things to shame you. The point of addressing this is not to bring shame on someone, but simply to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul's giving us the illustration here of a father who loves his child, and because the father loves his child, he admonishes him to go in the right direction. Love should be the framework of any admonition. But secondly, Verse 15, we see the fellowship of admonition. The fellowship of admonition. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called, here's the key phrase, in one body and be thankful. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only have you been brought into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, but you have been brought into a relationship with one another. The Bible says we are members of one another. That when one of us weep, we all weep. When one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. Why? Because there are no Lone Ranger Christians. This season of of isolation and this season of quarantine that has been necessary because of the pandemic, please understand, God did not create us to live that way. It's easy to get comfortable living that way, but that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to be in fellowship with one another. We're members of one another. What you do affects the body, and what I do affects the body because we've been brought into this fellowship. It's in that context that Paul brings up the importance of admonition. Please understand what Paul is envisioning here is through a family relationship being called into one family, into one body, that there should be a familial care for one another. Let me illustrate that. In our household, uh, we do something that was probably gonna sound a little weird to you, I'm not sure, but, uh, and I might embarrass my family by saying some of this, but we, we do this. In our house, when it's someone's birthday, there's a, typically, you know, we'll, we'll eat a meal together and celebrate and have as much sweet and cake and ice cream as we can. Can I get a witness, right? I mean, we love that kind of celebration and, getting together with people. But one of the things that we do when it's someone's birthday is we will put the birthday person in what you call, what we call affectionately, the chair of affirmation, all right? What that means is, is we use this as an excuse, I'll just tell you what it is, an opportunity to put around the room, sharing with that person at least one thing that we love and appreciate about them. And we do that, all, the, the kids, the, Heather and I, we all do. And at the end of that time of affirmation, We'll gather around that person and we'll lay hands on them and we'll pray for them in their next year. Honestly, it's a special time. It's a beautiful time. 
But there's another component to that that does not happen in the living room or around the fire outside in that group setting. And that is that oftentimes in the days that follow, or maybe even the weeks that follow, I'll pull usually that child aside. I don't do this with Heather. But I'll pull that child aside, and I will not only affirm them, but I will say, you know, as I see you growing, or I see you developing, or I see God working in your life, here are some areas that I think God could really use you. Here are some areas that I believe that God's wanting you to grow. Here are some areas of, of challenge, or here are some areas that, you know, I'm concerned about this that I see in your life, and I believe God wants you to be over here going in this direction. And it's a time as a father to put my arm around my child and say, in essence, this is the way, walk in it. This is kind of the picture that the Apostle Paul has in mind when it comes to admonition, that in that context of love, in the context of that familial relationship, that we love people enough that we come alongside of them, we put our arm around them, kind of visually speaking, if you will, and we say, this is God's way, walk in it. It's a picture of care and concern, not a picture of criticism or condescension. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brethren to admonish the unruly. Unruly literally means to be careless and out of line. It was used in reference, the term was, to a soldier who continually got out of line. Paul says, admonish them, brethren. Don't forget they're your family. Second Thessalonians chapter three, apparently they didn't do it very well because he came back in Second Thessalonians three and said, don't regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. But notice there's a framework for that. There's a kind of a basis here of how we do that in the family setting. Verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Think about that for a moment in the context of an admonition. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule literally means to govern. The word was used to describe an umpire, an umpire at the annual Greek games. What Paul's literally saying is, let the peace of Christ call the shots in your life. If God makes you aware of something, God brings a concern into your life. God makes you aware of something that you see in someone's life that you are concerned about and maybe you sense God convicting about. Don't act in anger. Don't act rashly. Don't act in haste. But instead, look to God to give you his peace and direction for your next steps. Don't respond out of anger, out of haste, or out of unhealthy emotions. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. But there's a second component to that, and that is this. And be thankful. Be thankful. Now, I have to confess to you that in this context of admonition, when God makes me aware of something like that, it's hard to be thankful. Oh, Lord, I can't wait to address this conflict. This is going to be so wonderful. Thank you. It doesn't normally happen that way. But there's a component when we recognize that God saved us out of darkness into light. God brought me from death into life. God, God took me through salvation where I was a complete pawn of the enemy and now he's adopted me into his family as a son or in ladies, your case, as a daughter of him. What a joy that is. Even when it's hard, even when the task at hand isn't great, it is far better to be in the family of God and in relationship with him than it is to be on the outside looking in. What a joy it is to know in the process of gratitude to realize God forgave me and God set me free and God gave me grace. And he also gave me others in my life to encourage and support and strengthen me and I the same for them. 
There's an attitude of gratitude that comes along with that. And can I just remind us in this moment, we all need each other. Every single one of us have blind spots in our life. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 100 years or if you don't know Jesus Christ at all in your life. We all have blind spots and areas of danger and concern and warning that we are likely not aware of. I remember a little over a year ago now, our oldest son began to learn to officially to drive. And oftentimes, one of the things that he had to learn to work on was, in our family, we have larger vehicles because we're, we're a big family. And so oftentimes, when it was time to change lanes, he would just look in his rearview mirror and he would respond based upon what he saw. But the fact of the matter is, in those big vehicles, there can easily be a blind spot and so we've had to learn to, to what, it looks, what it means to look at all the different angles. And we've also had to learn what it means to ask other people in the vehicle that might have a different perspective from you. Is there anybody beside me? Is there anything I should be aware of? Is there any danger I don't see? We all have blind spots. I thank God for the men in my life who love me enough that I have invested in and they in me, that I have opened myself to and they to me, that are there that I can look out to and I regularly do when I say, hey, there's this decision that I've got to make. There's this situation that I'm dealing with. This is how I'm seeing it. What am I missing? What's my blind spot here? What, what am I not seeing in this moment? Where, where, where am I wrong? We all need that. It's in that context that I believe that God is calling us to recognize the purpose of admonition ultimately is so that we will grow in our relationship with God and also in our likeness of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.28 says it this way, we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we might present every man complete in Christ. Third, I want you to see this, and that is the foundation of admonition. Verse 16, I love Love, love this verse of scripture. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ dwell within you on Sunday mornings. Is that what he's saying? No. Let the word of Christ, now that's a good place to start, but that's not it. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you when it's easy and convenient. Is that what he says? No. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That word for dwell literally means to reside in, to be at home in. I imagine today if you were invited to someone's house for lunch, you were to go to their house, you'd be welcomed into the front door, I doubt your very first move is to go to the pantry and start pulling everything out. Highly doubt it. I highly doubt your very first move is to go to the master bathroom to see what color paint is on the walls, okay? Highly doubt it. Why? Because you are a guest. It's not where you live. But if you go to your house, your own house where you live, you're not gonna hesitate to go to the pantry and start pulling out what you want for lunch because you're gonna be hungry. If you need to, you're not going to hesitate to rush to the master bathroom. Why? Because you live there. When God says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, he's literally saying that the word of God should be so at home in our life that it has freedom to move in every room, in every area of our life, that there should be no single component of our life that is unaffected by the authority of the word of God. That's what he's saying. 
Well, why is that important in the context of admonition? I want to suggest to you two reasons why. First is this, because having God's word in your heart is a great barrier to make sure that you too are practicing what you are preaching. David said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 11, your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. When God makes you aware of something, when you see something in someone, here's the first thing you should do. The first thing you should do is you, could go, you should go before God, you should open your heart and say, Holy Spirit of God, would you speak to me? Would you guide me? Would you convict me? Would you reveal to me if there's any wayward way in my heart and life? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, verses three through five. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log that's in your own eye? You, listen to what Jesus says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, it's a way to make sure that we are not being a hypocrite but that we are in right relationship with the Lord first and foremost ourselves. Secondly, why is God's word so important as it relates to an admonition? Here's why. It is important because any admonition we give should be based upon the truth of scripture and not personal opinion. Anytime you need to address something of an admonishment with a brother or sister in Christ, it should be based upon the clear truth of Scripture and not based upon personal opinion. The word admonish in its most literal sense, in its original language, literally means to put in mind. Somebody says, oh, yeah, man, I like admonition because I get to give people a, a piece of my mind. That's not what it means. It means to put in mind. Well, what are you putting in mind? Here's the answer. The Word of God. All of us like sheep are naturally prone to stray and prone to wonder. And so we need people in our life that we've allowed into our life who love us enough to speak and say, hey, but the word of God says this. Here's what God's instruction is. Here's where God is leading. And as we get God's word in our heart and mind, God reveals to us where we've gone wrong. He warns us of the direction that we're headed and he helps us get back on the right path. In other words, we're not putting in mind Oprah and Dr. Phil philosophy or psychology. We're not putting in mind man-made ideals and agendas. We're not putting in mind personal preferences. We're putting in mind biblical teaching and instruction. Let me illustrate that. If your focus is on yourself and even on others, can I just tell you, there's going to be a million things in life that will offend you. Bottom line. So what our focus has to be is God and his word. When I pastored in Christiansburg for many years, there was a, a gentleman, and I don't mean to be rude, but let me just illustrate that simply. He was a vegetarian by his own conviction. Nothing wrong with that. I know many vegetarians. But where he took that wrong was, is he came to such a place that he thought it was a biblical conviction that he also thought it was part of his responsibility to make sure everybody knew why it was a biblical principle and truth, why you could not, should not eat meat. In other words, he evaluated people based upon his personal preference and not by clear biblical teaching. Might I just add, thank God for me. Anyway, secondly, I've seen people do that with how people worship, what kind of instruments they use, 
how they have the hymnal or how they have the words on the screen. There are all sorts of things that we can allow, how someone dresses here and whatever else. There's all sorts of personal preferences. And what God is saying, listen, let God's word rule your heart. Let God's word rule your life. Let God's word be your guide. What does he say in verse 16? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. I love that little saying, with all wisdom. Did you know as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no excuse, I have no excuse, we have no excuse for not walking in wisdom. For starters, the Bible tells us that the fullness of wisdom dwelt in bodily form in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're saying to me that the fullness of wisdom is found in him and he is your Lord. There's no reason for us not walking in wisdom. The Bible also tells us that there's wisdom in his word. So as we know God's word and grow in him, spend time even in the book of Proverbs alone, I'm telling you, God will make you wise. But thirdly, James chapter one, verse five, he even promises this simple statement. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. So, so what do you do when there's something that comes up and you see it and you're concerned about it? You see someone going the wrong direction. Here's what you do. You go to God, you pray, you go to his word, you examine your own heart and life, make sure that there's, these things are not in your life, that you're not walking as a hypocrite. You commit it to the Lord, you pray for the individual, and then by God's grace and mercy, you move forward in love to address the truth. Please understand when you are demonstrating the fruit of the spirit and you are going with the peace of God ruling your heart, God's word being your God, the joy of the Lord and his peace even being in your life, when you do that, you can rest assured in that moment that you're being faithful and obedient and you can trust God with the results. And what is the result? Verse 16. I believe these scriptures here, when the Bible says you're doing this, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, speaking with songs, uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I believe the more accurate translation of this from the original languages, it's showing us that this is another result of what happens when the word of Christ is ruling in our hearts. When the word of Christ is dwelling within us richly, one of the evidences of that is that there will be singing, there will be gratitude, there will be spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. The Holman Center Bible words it this way. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. In other words, the person may not receive it well. It may not always go according to your plan and your prayer. But here's what will happen. When there is repentance, when there is restoration, when there is a coming to the Lord on both accounts, when that happens, there is great joy and there is great peace, there is great celebration and there is great worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings me to the final point and that is I want you to see the focus of admonition. The focus of admonition. What is the focus of a word of admonition? We don't like it, we don't like to think about it, we certainly don't wanna talk about it and I imagine most of us haven't heard a sermon in a long time about it. Is the focus of admonition the person that is seeing all the red flags and the concerns so that they grow in the Lord. That's a part of it, but that's not all of it. Is the focus of the admonition the individual who needs to be, frankly, confronted and corrected and warned along the way? Well, to be clear, that's a part of it, but that's not it in its entirety. Here's the focus. The focus is all for the name 
and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17. So whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In other words, we often have a problem with this idea of admonishing one another because we're focused on it, on, for lack of a better term, the human plane, the, oh, I don't know if they're going to receive this well. I don't know if I might ruin a friendship here. or, or I, I don't like the fact that they said this to me and my feelings are now hurt. We, we focus it on the human level. But what God is calling us to see is admonition from a higher plane, a higher level, from God's perspective. This is all for the glory of Jesus and ultimately even for the good of us so that we might know him and might grow in him to be the vessel that he's called us to be. Philippians chapter two, verse 15, Paul says, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Our calling as believers is to love the Lord and to make him known in the world around us. And one of the reasons he's placed us in this body as brothers and sisters is so that we might encourage one another, we might pray for one another, we might serve one another, we might bear one another's burdens when it's needed as iron sharpening iron, that we might even admonish one another so that we're motivating each other, calling each other on to be the vessel God's called us to be. I want to close this message with a reminder that Jesus is coming again. And one day, every single one of us will stand before God and give an account of our life. The first thing we'll give an account of for every single one of us today is very simple, and that is simply this. What did we do with Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, every single one of us. I said a moment ago, we, we, we all have blind spots. We all have weaknesses. We all have sinned and done things that are not pleasing to God. And the only way we can be forgiven of our sin and saved and have a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord. Here's the good news. The good news is that the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, if you're here and you do not have a relationship with God, you do not know that your sins are forgiven, I want you to know today, you can know for sure that you have received God's salvation. You can know for sure that you have a relationship with God by believing in Jesus, and I invite you to do that today. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I've done that. I've prayed to receive Christ as my Savior, but I'm not ready for the return of Jesus. I mean, let me just ask you for a moment. If you were to stand before God today and give an accounting of your life, is there anything in your life right now that's hidden? Maybe it's in your actions, it's private, that nobody else knows about. Maybe it's so hidden that it's, it's just hidden within your own heart. It's thoughts and feelings and things that you know are not right. If you were to stand before God right now, who knows all things, is there anything in your life today that you'd be ashamed of? when God exposes it and brings it to the surface, is there anything that you'd be ashamed of? I want to encourage you this morning. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, 
If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what that means is this. Whatever those things are that bring about that shame and bring about that embarrassment, here's the wonderful truth. You can be forgiven and you can be set free, but it's not by feeling sorry for them. It's by repenting of them. It's believing in Jesus. It's acknowledging what God says about your sin. It's agreeing with him, confessing it to him, and turning from it. Can I just say to you this morning, the only way you can have victory over your sin, it's not by man-made effort. There's no magical formula. All right, pastor said I got these 10 things to do, and then I'm, I'm victory-free, I'm good to go. The only way you're delivered is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender to his rule in your life. Finally, Maybe you're here today and you're a believer and God is bringing up something loud and clear, not necessarily in your own life, but someone in your life that you genuinely are concerned for. Frankly, you've been on the sidelines and you've been silent. I want to ask you for the glory of the Lord. Would you begin praying today about your next steps? Would you get in God's word and examine your life? And would you surrender to say yes to the Lord, whatever those next steps are? all over the building. Can you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, man, I know this message is is hard to receive and even harder to um, apply. And and many components of it, frankly, are even hard to communicate and and preach, but your word is true. And, And so God, I thank you. I thank you for the fact that not only have there been people in my life who have admonished me when I was in need of that, But even more so, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who has convicted me of sin. And I thank you, God, that you drew me to to faith in Christ and you've drawn me to that place of confessing my sins and turning from them because I know that my deliverance and my victory was not according to my work. It was all by your work and your doing. And God, even the victory that you allowed me to continue to live in today, it's not my effort. It is me simply surrendering to you and your effort in working through me. God, thank you for that. Because I know in my flesh there is nothing good. But I thank you for your Holy Spirit within me who has created me to be a new creation and continued to mold and shape me. God, I pray today for every single one of us here today that we would be in right relationship with you and that we would be right relationship with others. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.